Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. Have you gotten your COVID-19 shot yet? There are residents in our state who've been eagerly waiting for the vaccination because they have certain medical conditions or they simply don't have the luxury to work from home. They are essential workers like grocery store employees who thought they'd be next in line after senior citizens. But now Governor Lamont has a new vaccination plan, an age-based distribution plan. Today where we live, how does this new plan to distribute the COVID vaccine in Connecticut affect you and your family members? We invited the state's top public health official to explain the strategy and take your questions too. Dr. Deidre Gifford is Connecticut's acting commissioner of the State Department of Public Health, and here's the number to call, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Commissioner Gifford, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, since Governor Lamont announced this change in the vaccine distribution plan. I wanted to focus on a a quote from the governor's spokesman, Max Reese. Uh, uh, He told the Connecticut Mirror that, quote, an easier process makes it more equitable instantly. Uh, Now, we know that not all public health experts agree with that. You're the co-leader of Connecticut's Vaccine Advisory Committee. Can you talk about how you came to this decision to switch approaches midway through the rollout, Commissioner? Sure, be happy to. So the first thing uh, to remind everyone is that we don't have yet enough vaccine to vaccinate everyone in the state who would like to receive a vaccine. So by definition, we were faced, we are like the rest of the country, faced with a situation where we need to devise um, an equitable and fair and efficient process to vaccinate the most people um, as quickly as possible. The priorities that the governor and uh, the advisory group set were to reduce severe illness and death from COVID with the vaccine rollout and to do that equitably. So that's what we set about to do. And um, as we, Lucy, as we sat down to look at the list of um, who might be next in line for vaccine based on some of the CDC and other recommendations, and also began to get lots and lots of input from people around the state about who they thought should be included on that list, we quickly realized that the next phase was going to be very, very large and we didn't have enough vaccine to vaccinate all the people in that group at the same time. So we were going to need to work backwards somehow with even within that group. And the most, um, the way that would reduce disease and, and death the, the most would be to work backwards by age. So either way, we were faced at, at looking at an age-based strategy in this next uh, phase of the, of the 
roll out. In addition to that, we quickly realized, as have other states, um, that it was going to be very challenging for individuals who live in Connecticut and our vaccine providers to understand who was really eligible in this next phase. Um, did you need to have a doctor's note or some other kind of verification uh, to demonstrate that you had a chronic illness? Some states are requiring that. Um, did you need to provide proof of employment? Um, some states are uh, requiring that. And those things uh, really favor uh, people who are employed, people who have a regular source of care or maybe have better connections with their physician or provider. It, it favors people who have time and resources uh, to navigate a fairly complicated system. And that's where you get into problems with equity. So what the governor uh, realized and, and decided was that the fairest and most equitable way to reduce severe illness and death with this vaccine strategy was to simplify the process and go backwards by age. But Dr. Gifford, is it fair when we look at the people who will be vaccinated next? Certainly, there's been a wide call for teachers in our state to be vaccinated because it's been a push from this governor since uh, the um, summer and before school started that schools need to be open. But at the same time, we have essential workers who've been doing their job since the start of this pandemic, and they're not in controlled environments like schools where a lot of rules, safety guidelines are being followed. So how is it fair to other essential workers to say, okay, we're finally going to vaccinate teachers, but the rest of you are going to have to wait? Yes, I, I just I want to say that I certainly understand uh, that uh, people who have been uh, working as frontline essential employees since the start of the pandemic um, may be an, an, uh, wishing they could get vaccinated sooner. I certainly understand that. Um, one of the things we did when we rolled out the strategy this week was to show everybody when they would be eligible for vaccine. Um, and this is a real advantage to the, to the uh, strategy that the governor announced. In other states, it's not clear who even qualifies as a frontline essential worker. Um, and it's not clear when the people who fit those categories will get vaccinated because the group is so large. What we've been able to do in Connecticut is say, if you're a frontline essential worker and you're 55 and older, you are at the highest risk uh, for uh, a bad outcome from COVID. You'll be able to start getting your vaccine next week. If you're a frontline essential worker and you're 45 and older, you'll be able to start getting your vaccine um, after about the third week of March and on down the line uh, by age. So I understand that, that um, our frontline essential workers have been doing um, terrific essential work. We are grateful for that. And we now they can look at that, that uh, calendar and know that they, when they will be eligible for vaccine. The other thing to say is that had we gone with the, the, the previously considered strategy, many of our frontline essential workers would have actually received their vaccine at the same time that they'll receive it now uh, because the group would have been so large that that phase would have stretched out over months instead of just a few weeks. 
So in actual fact, many of our frontline essential workers, the oldest ones will get the vaccine sooner, and the younger ones may be getting it at the same time they would have received it under the prior strategy. Uh, You can join our conversation with uh, the acting commissioner of the State Department of Public Health as we talk about this new vaccination distribution plan in our state, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, You mentioned that it's important to come up with a plan, and the governor believes this age-based plan will be efficient and equitable. A lot of people are questioning that when we see how it's rolled out so far for older uh, residents in our state, the DPH data showing that uh, brown and black residents in our state in these age groups, uh, far there are few of them have gotten the vaccine compared to white residents. So how will you make this equitable moving forward, Commissioner? Yes, so um, that's the other key component um, of this strategy, which is um, targets for our vaccine providers and for the state for the administration of vaccine in high-need communities. So let me explain what that means exactly. Um, We have identified um, using a a strategy that's uh, defined by the CDC, certain zip codes in the state of Connecticut where people with the highest risk uh, are likely to live. And we've been measuring how we're doing with our vaccine program in those highest risk zip codes and we've shared that uh, data with the public. And as you point out, um, Lucy, we're not doing well enough in those areas. We need to do better. So um, we've started by allocating vaccine to providers who are working in those areas and making sure that enough vaccine is being sent there. But that's not enough. Um, you have to do um, several other things. You have to measure and you have to make that data available. So that's what we're doing. You have to make sure the vaccine is there. So we're working with our providers to make sure they have adequate doses in those communities. And then you need to work on the actual barriers that exist in those communities to getting vaccine. So some of those barriers uh, that we've started to tackle with our vaccine providers, um, the technology that was required to get an appointment, um, we realized quickly um, that that was Uh, a challenge um, and a barrier for some populations. So we stood up our vaccine assistance access line with our partners at 211. People can get an appointment by phone. Right now, I just want to say that there is no wait time on that phone line. And uh, and appointments, if you're 65 or older, appointments are available now if you call that phone line. And I can uh, get the number before the end of the show. So we, that phone line is also available in multiple languages. We if someone calls, uh, Commissioner, to- if someone calls 211, can they also get connected to that number you're talking about? Yes, although we prefer they call the number directly, um, and uh, we will make sure to get that for you by the end of the show. Okay. Um, you can also go, if, if someone wants to check the Internet, they can go to ct.gov slash COVID vaccine. And uh, and they'll be directed uh, to that phone number as well. I'll, so that's I'll one ask way a, to start. 
Commissioner, I'll ask our producer to, to look up that number so that we can make sure we get it to people soon. I wanted to take some calls before we talk more about the system in place to, to schedule these uh, vaccines. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Acting Commissioner Dr. Deidre Gifford, she leads the State Department of Public Health, is here. Aaron is calling in from Deep River. Aaron, go ahead. Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, the CDC guidelines clearly states that diabetes and severe asthma should be vaccinated next under 1B. And both of my, my husband and I qualify for this. So we've had our documentation ready for this since November. So I'm just wondering why the state hasn't done something similar already since we knew this was coming up. Aaron, thank you for your call. Uh, go ahead, uh, uh, Commissioner Gifford, again. Uh, so from the beginning of this pandemic, the governor has said it's important to follow CDC uh, recommendations. This age-based plan deviates from that. Can you tell us more about and explain to Aaron who has a medical condition, why she has to wait? Um, sure. And Aaron, thank you for calling, and um, I'd be happy to explain. So this is uh, your question actually illustrates one of the challenges um, that we were facing with this uh, condition-based eligibility. So if you look at the list, which I'm, I'm looking at now on the internet, um, type two diabetes um, is on the list. Type one diabetes does not appear on the list. Um, and actually there are two lists published by the CDC. One list uh, is of people who are, are at increased risk and the other is a list of people who might be at increased risk. Now, if you look at the, the first list, um, type one diabetes is not included, nor is asthma. If you look at the second list, uh, asthma is included, as is type one diabetes. So when we looked at those two lists, we realized that over two thirds of the adult population were included. So the challenge, Aaron, and I, I certainly understand your desire to get vaccinated, and I, and I hope you will take the opportunity to look at the calendar that we put out on Monday so that you can see exactly when you and your husband will be eligible for vaccine. It, it won't be uh, too much longer. Um, but the challenge that we had is when we looked at both of those lists and saw that uh, almost the, the entire adult population would qualify, we knew that we were going to have to work backwards by age in any case. And, um, and so it would, would have been much more difficult for both you and for providers to have to decide uh, how to verify who was eligible. Um, so we decided to just go with age. Stephen's calling in. Uh, Stephen, you have a question related to the disability community. Yes, I do. And, and, and I'm with DRCT and we represent a lot of folks in the um, disability community. Um, and Commissioner, thanks for being here this morning. But um, I have a question. You talked earlier about reducing death and severe illness because of COVID and the equity arguments. We have people with comorbidities out there, people with disabilities out there, all of whom were viewing March 1st as a um, kind of golden date because they would be able to get their vaccines. Um, given that they are at much higher risk for contracting, higher risk for um, getting severely ill or dying for, if they get COVID, 
Can you give us an idea of what the thought process is behind removing them as a category and kind of folding them in with the age groups? Sure, and thank you for that question. Um, yes, and first of all, we do know that um, chronic illness, the prevalence of chronic uh, illness increases as people get older. So uh, for people over 50 in the United States, almost 70% have some type of chronic illness. So uh, that's where the chronic disease is concentrated, which is another thing uh, that uh, made us think about working backwards by age, in addition to the fact that 98% of the deaths from COVID in Connecticut have occurred in people over the age of 50. So um, if we uh, go back to the, the question about um, who would have been eligible under the previously considered option, and you go to the lists uh, that were produced by the CDC based on the evidence that they've seen, it had uh, certain uh, disabilities, but not others. Uh, so what we started to hear uh, from lots of people as we considered that previous option was, uh, please add this condition to the list. Um, people with this condition should also be considered in the next phase of vaccine. And as we looked at the vaccine supply and realized that we didn't have enough to vaccinate everyone who wanted to be vaccinated right now, and we looked at the size of the group uh, once we considered all of these conditions and essential workforce categories, again, we realized that we had uh, close to two-thirds of the adult population. We couldn't open up our vaccine schedule on Monday uh, to over a million and a half people, and we had to figure out a way uh, to further stratify. So we decided that going by age, which is where the risk of chronic disease and the risk of death lies, was the fairest and most equitable way to reduce death and severe illness from COVID. Again, you can join our conversation with Acting Commissioner Dr. Deidre Gifford, 888-720-9677. That phone number you mentioned earlier that people could call, Commissioner, it's 877-918-2224. Who are the people that should be calling this phone number? Right now, anyone in Connecticut who is age 65 or older is eligible to be vaccinated. So, and again, there's no wait on that phone line today and appointments are available. So I encourage you, uh, and thank you for providing that number. I encourage people to call. Also, um, if you're a, a healthcare worker and uh, for whatever reason you decided to wait a little bit to get your vaccine, you are still eligible for vaccination. So I encourage you, if you're a healthcare worker working on the front lines and you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, uh, to call that number, uh, appointments are available. Again, it's 877-918-2224. Again, we're going to talk more about the the system in place as more and more people become eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. Denise is calling in from Wallingford. Denise, go ahead. Hi, good morning. I just had a question for you. When you you talk about um, essential health workers, I work in a grocery store, and we have been on the front lines in contact with hundreds of people since day one. We were supposed to be eligible for the vaccine now, but we got pushed back. 
and I was just wondering why. Hi, Denise. Um, thanks for calling in, and uh, and importantly, thank you for uh, being on the front line since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we understand uh, that you're anxious to get your vaccine, and we want to get vaccine to everybody in Connecticut as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know your age, Denise, um, but your colleagues who are 55 and older uh, will be able to get their vaccine starting on Monday. Um, and about three weeks from then, um, your colleagues who are 45 and older will be able to get vaccinated. And uh, about three or four weeks after that, um, 35 and older and on down the line. And by May, everyone uh, should be able to, in Connecticut, everyone who wants to schedule a vaccine appointment should be able to do so. So I totally understand and appreciate that you want to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, and that you have been on the front lines. I encourage you uh, to have a look at that calendar that we've put out and, uh, and know that when the, your age group comes up, you'll be able to schedule a vaccine. Denise, uh, if you're still on the line, do you know when you're, you're eligible now based on this new plan by the state? I don't. I haven't looked at it yet, but I am 60 years old. So that should be coming well, up for her soon. Yeah, on Monday, Denise, you can call for an appointment. Um, so that's the good news for you. 55 and older is, avail is uh, eligible on Monday. So I encourage you starting Monday to um, hop on the Internet or get on the phone, and you'll be able to get vaccinated. Uh, Denise, uh, you mentioned that you are a grocery store worker and you're 60, yeah. but what about your colleagues who are much younger? I had brought up the point with the commissioner earlier that, you know, we want people to follow the safety guidelines, but I think any one of us can recall a time when someone is not six feet away or is not wearing a mask correctly. Is this something that you have noticed in your grocery store and how does that make you feel? Absolutely, and that's why I was so concerned about it. And, you know, my fellow workers are, too, because we're, in, like I said, in constant contact. You know, it's kind of hard to follow the six-foot rule. I work in the meat department, so I'm constantly, you know, in close proximity with people. Fortunately, everyone's wearing their mask, but, you know, in the beginning, it was, it was scary. And it still is, because you still don't know. Well, Denise, thank you for calling in. Go ahead, Commissioner. Thank you, Denise. No, I just wanted to say thank you uh, for your work, Denise. Thanks to you and your colleagues. And again, um, I, I encourage you Monday um, to, to go ahead and schedule an appointment as soon as possible uh, for your vaccine. And thanks for calling in. Again, I'm going to give that number out, 877-918-2224, uh, for people who are eligible uh, under this uh, new plan uh, starting March 1st. My guest today on Where We Live, Dr. Deidre Gifford, she is the Acting Commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. We're going to continue to take your calls and questions right after the break. We'll be back in 90 seconds.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today, Dr. Deidre Gifford, Acting Commissioner of the State Department of Public Health, as we talk about the state's new approach to vaccine distribution. You can join us, 888-720-9677. Before I take more listener calls, Commissioner, can you explain the system that's in place right now? So for a while, there was the, I think it still exists, the online system, VAMS is the acronym, People have been told to call 211. I've been giving out this other number that um, you say people can start to call again um, when they become eligible. And then there's healthcare systems that are also providing vaccines to particular communities. This seems very confusing. So what's the easiest way to tell people how they should be able to connect to a COVID-19 shot, Commissioner? Yes, we understand. And um, uh, we wanna make it as easy as possible for people, Lucy. So thanks for asking that question. For people who have access to the internet, I would say the most straightforward way is to go to ct.gov slash COVID vaccine. And right on the landing page there, um, you'll find a link to uh, am I eligible or get a get an appointment. And you can click on that. It'll take you to a map uh, and show you where vaccination is um, eligible, is available in your area. If you don't have access to the internet, go ahead and call that 877 number. That's our vaccine appointment assistance line, and they will help you with a vaccine. Now you can join our conversation with Commissioner Gifford. Uh, let me take um, Michelle in New Haven. Michelle, go ahead. Oh, hello. Um, I'm a licensed practicing uh, social worker. I work for myself, um, and I had a really hard time um, being able to find an opening for a shot. Hello? Yes, we're here, Michelle. Go ahead. Okay, all right. Um, I have three autoimmune diseases. I have heart disease. I'm 66 years old. I don't work for a hospital or a clinic. There was no way I could find uh, to get myself to get a, a vaccine. So, um, so, I mean, it sounds like things have changed a little bit since last week. I finally did get a vaccine, but it's kind of a hit or miss thing. It's really like gambling. You know, uh, you go on sites and all of a sudden they're, they're busy. I had my computer going, my landline, and my cell phone. And with all of that for two days, I just was not able to find an opening. They were closed in a second. So for people like me that are self-employed, there's no protection, no help um, for trying to get us um, vaccinated. We're just you're kind of just out there on your own. Michelle, you raise a good point. I know that municipalities that have senior centers, that have libraries, they're all uh, working to help uh, people locally. And I'm wondering, Commissioner, is the state doing enough to help local officials get people like Michelle connected? Yes, um, and Michelle, I'm glad you've got your shot, and um, I appreciate that it was uh, a, a complicated uh, process for you, but I'm, I'm happy that you, you got it in the end, and I, um, I hope you'll get your second shot soon. Um, we have been, Lucy, working really closely with our local health departments um, and with our uh, community partners around the state. We have a terrific team uh, working with DPH and the governor's office that's on the phone every single day with our municipal partners, whether that's local health or, or uh, mayors and first selectmen offices, other community organizations, 
they in turn are working with senior centers, uh, faith-based organizations, senior high-rise uh, complexes, um, all kinds of settings out in the community. That's the work we need to do to make sure that this process is fair and equitable. And uh, we're busy doing that uh, every single day. We need to do more. As you pointed out in the beginning, we have work to do to make sure that this process is reaching everybody in an equitable way across Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But the community partnerships that we built for our testing program earlier in the pandemic, we're using those partnerships now to get back out into the community um, and do our work around vaccines. Uh, was it a mistake for the state uh, early on to roll out this phased approach uh, when uh, from the very beginning it's been said that with uh, waiting for the vaccines to come online and get the FDA approval and then be manufactured, uh, the demand was going to outstrip supply. And so now we've got all these people with expectations, Commissioner, uh, some people who have been trying to do everything they can. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a hard pill to swallow for them that they, if they're younger, are going to have to wait until May, even June, depending on what supply looks like to get a vaccine. Yeah. You know, Lucy, I think people understand uh, that we don't have enough vaccine to vaccinate everyone who wants it right now. I, I think people do get that. That's the big picture. That being said, uh, we are less than a, a year into this pandemic. We're right about a year now from when things started. And here we are with a vaccine, highly effective, three, uh, soon to be three vaccines that are highly effective against uh, this virus. And we have over 45 million people in the United, 45 million doses uh, given in the United States. Uh, uh, soon will be a, a million doses given in just in Connecticut alone. So uh, the progress has actually been extremely fast. I know people are anxious. It's been a very long and difficult and trying year for everyone. Um, but the, in the big picture, the fact that we have three effective vaccines and we've been able to roll it out as quickly as we have is really very good news. Doug's calling in. Doug, what's your question for Commissioner Gifford? Good morning, Commissioner. Thank you for taking my call. So I'm a, um, I work at a, at a supermarket, and, you know, we, our customer count goes by the thousands in the course of a week. Um, it's not the same people coming in, of course. Um, could be people from out of state, out of the county, out of the town. But it's, again, in the thousands. So um, when I was listening earlier, we were talking about, um, you know, teachers still being in a group to get um, vaccinated. I was just wondering if there's any data supporting um the, the risk to teachers as opposed to those of the uh, uh, grocery store or essential workers that are out there meeting the thousands and thousands of people during a week. Um, you know, the company I work for has been great. You know, everybody's masking up, you're gloving up, washing your hands. However, um, without like an N95 mask, even with everybody wearing a mask, yes, it does cut the transmission down, but it's still there. And you don't know walking up and down an aisle or talking from one customer to the other. Did somebody just cough right before you walk down that aisle? Something happened that you don't know what you're walking through. Of course, you have no control because you don't know what happened when you turned the corner. But um, I don't believe you touched on any data that you had comparing the uh, front, the essential workers like in grocery stores to those of the teachers who are still to get the vaccine. Thank you, Doug. Commissioner Gifford, go ahead. 
Yep. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for the question. And um, again, I say thanks to, to you and Denise for your work on the front lines during the pandemic. Um, the risk of to frontline essential workers really varies. Um, in general, what we've seen is that in, in retail, um, the risk is generally low, um, as it is in schools. I think the, um, the emphasis on education has to do with getting kids back to school, which I, I know we all agree it's been important for our children um, who've been out of school for so long to have the opportunity uh, for an in-person education. And many uh, children in disadvantaged communities in particular, uh, we want to make sure that they um, have the best shot this year for an in-person education. That doesn't mean uh, that your work in, in the grocery store isn't, isn't valued. Um, it certainly and most definitely is. Um, I'm glad that you have an employer that's emphasized the masks for both the customers and the um, employees. That definitely works and it definitely cuts down uh, your exposure. And again, I would say, um, please check uh, you know, the calendar that we've put out. March 22nd, if you're 45 uh, to 54, you should be eligible. And a few weeks after that, if you're 35 to 44, you should be eligible. And, and, and I hope and encourage you to get your vaccine soon, Doug. Uh, Anne uh, tweeted at us, uh, Commissioner Gifford, and wants to know, what about the kids who have parents with comorbidities who cannot be in school? And now that has been pushed back. When you talk about the importance of making sure that the kids are in school, some of them are staying home doing remote because their parents have medical conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, what I would say is, uh, again, uh, we're working as quickly as we can, given the limited supply of vaccine that we have, um, to make sure that those individuals can get vaccinated soon. And, um, you know, we're hope, hoping to get good news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine um, as soon as um, a Sunday or Monday of next week, um, which means we, we may have even more vaccine supply coming into Connecticut. So we're working as quickly as we can with our vaccine partners uh, to make sure that we have uh, an efficient and speedy and equitable strategy. Uh, coming up, I want to hear more from the commissioner about how uh, marginalized communities getting, um, making sure that it's accessible to them, what that exactly looks like in the next few weeks. But Al's been holding from Darien. Al, go ahead. Al, can you hear me? Well, it looks like Al isn't there anymore. Let's try Susan in Greenwich. Susan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Good morning. My, I'm 65, and my question relates to the rollout. Like your prior, prior caller, Michelle, I had quite a bit of difficulty with using every possible medium to try to get an, my first vaccine um, a couple of weeks ago. Fortunately, I have my first one today, but um, it was quite difficult and challenging, and um I'm just wondering why the vaccine is being available, made available this coming Monday um, when some of my neighbors, for example, haven't even yet had their first vaccine and they're 65 and older. Um, my neighbor, my direct neighbor, has, doesn't have her vaccine until March the 8th. And um, what does it mean for second vaccines? So I, I think it's, it's a real concern in terms of this rolling rollout um, in terms of age mm-hmm. and the capacity yeah. um, is something that um, a number of us are concerned about. If you could address that. 
Sure. Thank you, Susan. That's a really good question. Um, so what we have seen as we have done the, the prior two phases when we've gone from 75 and, and older and then down to 65 and older is that um, once we reach about half of the uh, group being vaccinated, we start to see empty appointments. Um, and one of our premises is um, no appointments uh, left open and no vaccine going to waste. And so, um, for example, if you call today uh, to one of our retail pharmacy partners, and Lucy, we haven't talked about um, CVS and Walgreens, who are also now getting vaccine directly from the federal government, um, they are getting fairly large shipments next week. They will have new appointments available. So um, once we start getting about 50%, which is where we're, we're close to now with 65 and older, we start to see vaccine appointments um, become available. So we want to get those filled. I would encourage uh, your neighbors and friends who are 65 and older, um, if they don't have their appointment yet, call today. Uh, call a pharmacy or call the 877 number or go online. I, I uh, appreciate and understand that it was a little a clunky for you, Susan, and I'm glad you were able to persist and get an appointment. But I encourage everyone who's currently eligible to go ahead and get that appointment scheduled. But we want to keep this moving. We're going to be getting lots of uh, vaccine in the coming weeks, and we don't want a single appointment slot to be left open. Uh, we're almost out of time with the commissioner. I have to ask, just to going back to how we started our conversation, when we talk about the importance of making this efficient but also equitable, when you look at the data right. where there are disparities based around our state, so what does that mean when you're going into communities? Will you be providing transportation? Will these clinics be open outside working hours for many of the people who, you know, again, have to do their jobs and have to figure out when they can get their vaccination too? Yes and yes uh, to, the, to both of those questions. So we've been working with our vaccine providers about, uh, just as you say, Lucy, what are the strategies on the ground that we need to have in place to make this an equitable process? We've got people that have been working with us called community outreach specialists. Um, these are individuals who are from these communities, live in these communities, and are helping us understand what the barriers are up to getting a vaccine and then helping our providers put in place strategies to address them. We're going to be opening up um, with partners from FEMA, a mass vaccination site in Bridgeport. Um, and we hope that that will be opened within the next couple of weeks. We will be reserving appointments at that mass vaccination site for people who live in Bridgeport. So that um, when you go to schedule appointments there, if you don't live in Bridgeport, you won't have access to those appointments. Many of our providers are using that strategy of reserved appointments for people who live in those communities. We're also taking the vaccine to where people live. So we've had uh, vaccine providers out, as I mentioned, in senior high rises, um, giving the vaccine there. We've had them out in senior centers. Um, we're also making a big emphasis on uh, people who are homebound. We understand that some people have a challenge getting out. So we have a team at DPH that's working with our local health departments on addressing that concern. So it's a multi-pronged strategy, but um, you know we're we're working uh, every day to make it better, and then measuring what kind of progress we're making. 
I want to thank Dr. Deidre Gifford for coming on the show to answer our questions and yours. Again, she's acting commissioner of the State Department of Public Health, and we appreciate your time, Dr. Gifford. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to talk more about uh, this goal of making sure this process is both efficient and equitable. Uh, we're going to hear from a public health expert at Harvard, and you can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, not where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from Connecticut's top public health official, Commissioner Deidre Gifford. Now, how can the state work on issues of access and also hesitancy when we talk about the COVID vaccine? Joining us now on Zoom, Dr. Bisola Ojikutu. She's an infectious disease specialist at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Her work focuses on addressing disparities and in infectious disease risk, prevention, care and treatment. Dr. Ojikutu, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. I'd love to get your reaction uh, to um, hearing from Connecticut's public health commissioner about this new strategy. And again, there's an emphasis on making sure that it's equitable. But is that possible when we talk about this new plan to base it on age, Um, Dr. Ojikutu? So I, I really appreciate the commissioner's response when, in regards to equity, I, but I, I think it remains to be seen whether or not this approach will promote equity. Um, what I can say is that if equity is truly a priority, then you know some of the discussions around prioritization, including age or, or comorbidities, unfortunately, it misses the mark. I mean, if you think about what an equity lens really is, um, it means that there must be priority on historically Um, populations that have been left behind. So we need to be talking um, very intensely about how to prioritize individuals in hardest hit neighborhoods, how to put vaccine sites in those neighborhoods and and make them um, accessible to to local folks. You know, scheduling and, you know, must be streamlined and simplified, which was discussed um, by the commissioner. And I think also this idea of collecting uh, better data. We we saw this with testing and we've seen it with other um, outcomes related to COVID-19 that we don't have great data in terms of of race and ethnicity, as well as other demographics that are important. So I think all of that is part of, is part of, um, you know, taking an equity lens and and really applying it to, to, to this rollout. The other thing, you know, is that, People have talked a lot about, you know, increasing vaccine confidence, and we know that the numbers um, in terms of acceptability of um, the COVID-19 vaccines have been lower in in most of the polls, particularly amongst Black individuals. So it's really putting resources into that and understanding it and and trying to figure out, um, you know, what are the best strategies going forward. And then, you know, honestly, I I think that um, much of what the commissioner said and much, much of what's being done, I think, nationally, is really, you know, what she described and what I what I just described. What what I would say is that we actually need to take this vaccine rollout, you know, one step further. You know, I think that looking at this in sort of a visionary way and thinking about um, the vaccine rollout in terms of equity, in terms of engagement of marginalized communities, as a, as a way to look at how we can, you know, create sustainable infrastructure in communities where we know that there are ongoing disparities. I mean, COVID nineteen has amplified disparities. So how can we do things that are investing in these communities? 
communities that aren't just sort of short term and then they you know sort of pop up and then they go away when people are you know when we've sort of gotten the 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 um, pandemic under control, which is hopefully in the in the near future, fingers crossed. Um, but how do we partner with communities in a better and more authentic way so that they're leading the way, so they they're taking ownership of, of what's happening, and in in not only you know building sustainable infrastructure but increasing confidence in, in these vaccines and in, in the process, you know, incre- increasing our trust of, of what's happening. We ran out of time with the commissioner because we had uh, many listeners who wanted to ask a question. But when we think about disparities, looking at stark differences and life expectancies uh, in Connecticut, there was a Connecticut Health Foundation uh, did a did a survey and found residents in in Northeast Hartford, on average, have a life expectancy fifteen years lower than just a few miles away at at West Hartford, Connecticut, a much more affluent and whiter community. So when we think about an age-based approach to vaccine distribution, does that raise concerns, thinking about how someone who's 55 and affluent and white may on average be less at risk than a low-income Black or Hispanic resident, Dr. Ojukutu? Of course, it raises concerns. I mean, I think this is really the the elephant in the room. I mean, this, this issue of how do we create a response that truly targets those who are greatest at risk, you know, and who are people who are not going to be able to access um, the system. So many of the callers in the last uh, session, they talked about their difficulties and their challenges, but think about that for folks who are historically marginalized, who are, um, you know, having many challenges, not just, um, well, I shouldn't say just, but, but, but not not necessarily or beyond what it what was described, but much more than that, both historical and contemporary sort of, of challenges dealing with the healthcare system. And there's this, as I mentioned, sort of this this divide between marginalized communities of color and institutions, whether it be healthcare systems, um, the educational system, so on and so forth. So you have to invest more in order to get folks to where other people are at. And, and I, I think it's important, though, in terms of messaging and in terms of creating a sense of overall community, that this isn't about us versus them. You know, and I detected some of that in the in the conversation that, you know, it's, you know, why are some people being prioritized over others? You know, promoting equity means access for all. It means a better world for all, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, we're all sort of struggling with this. And I think there are many challenges to to. Um, to promoting equity, to getting access. Certainly there's there's supply issues in regard, regard in regards to the COVID-19 vaccine. But I think framing this as a way to, you know, really address some of these challenges that have been so so um, starkly highlighted, as you mentioned. We just have a couple of minutes left, but again, your clinical work in infectious disease, are there some best practices that examples of getting it right that local health officials, uh, even uh, in, at the White House, should be paying attention to? Right. So I I think that's a a great question. So there's actually a great example of a rollout um, in Washington state that was being led by Native American or indigenous communities that was reported in the Seattle Times as a model for a community-centered rollout. So what that community did was they developed their own education and demand creation campaigns. They addressed vaccine hesitancy themselves. They discussed mistrust and the legacy of misconduct, research-related misconduct in their own communities. And they basically hired their own staff to make their own phone calls, to go door to door, to do boots on the ground. And they decided that they wanted to do drive-through vaccination. They said, that is what our community wants. We have heard from them and we are going to act on that. And they moved that forward. They took ownership of the process. Now, we we actually know that interventions that are owned by and acceptable to communities, particularly marginalized communities, are the ones that are going to be, are going to work best. 
So why don't we build on that type of model, really work in true authentic partnership, decide what work will work best within communities and, and, and move that forward and, and do it in a sustainable way that will, you know, like I said, change what's happening. Meanwhile, here in Connecticut, you know, leading other states when we think about how many people have gotten their first dose of the COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccine. As more of the population gets vaccinated, we all benefit from getting closer to herd immunity. Absolutely. That, and that's that's part of what the messaging should be. That this isn't about us against them. This is about us all sort of working together to get towards this blanket of immunity that will protect all of us and get us through this as the as a world. <laughs> you know, I think this is this is this is the way that the messaging should be um, should be promoted. I want to thank Dr. Bisolu Ojikutu, infectious disease specialist at Brigham and Women's Hospital. We appreciate your context to, to this conversation. Thank you. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This is Where We Live. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Tess Terrible was on the phones today. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Thank you for your call-ins, and we hope to invite the commissioner and the governor on in the next few weeks to continue this conversation.